Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 308 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we asked in something that was more timely than we even expected. Uh, are we living in a time of cyber war? And if so, what do we need to be doing about that? I highly recommend that episode and the practical steps we discuss there to you. In this episode, we decided the real world feels like a bit too much for us, and it would be a good time to look at the current state of the metaverse. Tom, what's all, all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Ma Report, we will indeed be talking about the metaspace that's now known as the metaverse. In our second segment, we'll take a look at whether in-person conferences are hot again. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip website or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, the rise of the metaverse. Uh, back in August, we did a hot or not on this. We, we, we talked about whether the metaverse was hot or not, and I would argue that since that time, uh, metaverse is in the news every single week. Um, and every it really seems like over the past few months, every major tech company has made something called the metaverse its major priority for the foreseeable future. Um, Facebook even changed its name to Meta. We'll talk about that, its parents' company's name, to show how seriously it is taking this thing called the Metaverse. So we thought we'd devote an episode to discussing the concept of the Metaverse, what it is, why everybody's going crazy with it, whether it makes sense for lawyers to either know about it or even start using it. Dennis, why the Metaverse and why do you say it has resurfaced? Well, I sort of think that, um, and, and I'm I'm being partly serious here, that the real world is just kind of too hard to deal with, and that it's nice to see if there could be like some alternative universes that might be a, a little easier for us to uh, to live in, um, and and that sort of goes back to the to the uh, you know the original uh, or I guess the origin of the metaverse with with Neil Stevenson in his book Snow Crash. Uh, which was the idea that uh, the uh, the world turned into this really dystopian place, and that people went into this online world uh, where they kind of lived most of most of their life and escaped from the the the, the real world. And uh, Tom, I, I realized that book, which I read, uh, was uh, is about thirty years old now, and and uh, I was looking at the plot summary on Wikipedia. Yeah, and the thing I remembered from it was like this total focus on delivering pizzas on time, you know, in addition to like these online worlds and and stuff like that. But but it it is a concept that goes goes back a long way. And I don't know, there's probably better ways to define it uh, than that. But it does go back to that original in original work by Neil Stevenson. Well, and we'll talk about because because I although I love Neil Stevenson, I never read that book. But but my first introduction, well, not first, but but one of my main 
Joys of the Metaverse is another book that's more recent than that. We'll talk about that in just a little bit as when we talk about our individual experiences with the metaverse. So, but let's let's take a step back and let's define it. Um, there's two definitions that I want to use. Um, one is the simple definition. So as I discussed, and as we'll talk about later, Facebook at, at decided to uh, uh, essentially rebrand itself, whether it's having its own public relations issues or not, and as the reason, whatever they chose, they decided to make their parent company named Meta. Um, and they've decided to give a definition to the metaverse. And their definition is the metaverse is a set of virtual spaces where you can create and explore with other people who aren't in the same physical space as you. That seems very simplistic to me. Um, and it seems also designed to um, promote what they are probably going to be debuting and what they're using. And it does fit. We'll talk a little bit about our own experience in a Facebook or meta related metaverse in just a minute. I actually like the definition from Matthew Ball, and I think I mentioned it during our Hot or Not segment back in August of 2021, but I'll bring it up again because I think that it's more complete. The metaverse is an expansive network of persistent, real-time rendered 3D worlds and simulations that, and here's the important part, support continuity of identity, objects, history, payments, and entitlements and can be experienced synchronously by an effectively unlimited number of users, each with an individual sense of presence. So I, I think that this definition takes into account everything that Meta said. It's a series of virtual spaces that you can create and explore with other people, but it's designed to be continuity of a number of different things that exist in the real world. It is designed to extend your identity from the real world into this virtual world. Objects that you have theoretically can be used, traded, sold, whatever, the same way in the virtual world that you may do that in the real world, maybe just a different way. Um, payments, we're, we're going to talk about cryptocurrency and things like that. That's they, it's, 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 it's payments that were designed for virtual worlds. Um, that's, that's kind of how I view the metaverse is, is that it is not just a place to escape, but it is a place to extend yourself um, and to and and to be able to have a full rounded experience, not just a place where we can go to play games or talk to each other or have some fun social, you know, attend a concert uh, in in virtual time. So there's two notions I th I think, and I think I think that Ball's definitions is really important in in a number of senses. But the two things I think of with metaverse are. Uh, basically, VR goggles as as your interface, uh, so and that gives you access to these 3D worlds. And there is what I would call a metaverse operating system or OS, where you say there are some some things that are going to happen, and you have the continuity or persistence. Uh, so you know your identity, uh, you know the history of what you've done, that you can come back to where you were, that you can do payments, that you can you can you can own things, you can trade things. Um, all those things can can happen, and I think those those are the keys to it. Um, that it and why it is you can sort of see it as this parallel world where there's a, a lot of similarities. But if you don't have, obviously you don't have the goggles, you don't have the same experience. And if you don't have that consistent operating system, especially with the history of of what you've done, um, 
it's it's just a, a pale imitation of what a what a metaverse would be. So it's I think it's there's a, a rich a richness to the 3D world that we're probably just on the the verge of. And I, I think that my experience to this point, I would say we're in very early stages of that. Well, let's step back a second from that because I agree that that the headset that the the for example the Oculus Quest Two, which we both have, um, very important critical tool to experiencing the metaverse, but um, that nece- that doesn't necessarily have have always been the case. I mean, my first experiences, my personal history at the metaverse, really takes into account two different things. One. Um, was was Second Life. And Second Life has been around for, I don't know, 20 years, and it's still around. Um, it still exists. And it was something that was very 2D. It was something that you can go to today and be in a virtual world on your computer, and you can walk around with your avatar and, and, and interact with people and do things. There was a, I think, a second, there may still be a Second Life Bar Association out there somewhere. Um, the, the real difference from the headset is the immersiveness. Once you put that headset on, you are in a different world. You can turn 360 degrees and be in a completely different place, which brings in my other personal history of the metaverse, the book that really influenced me a lot that I really enjoyed was Ready Player One by Ernest Cline, which takes place almost entirely in the metaverse. It Again, you know, the, the similarity between that and Neil Stevenson's book is they both sort of take place in dystopian worlds where people escape to this virtual world to have some semblance of normalcy. Um, but I mean, they have they've got it down to a science where they where they wear suits that uh, that approximate uh, physical sensations, so people can touch you in the metaverse and you'll actually feel it uh, using the suit that you're wearing. So um, it's very advanced, and I I totally recommend that book to everyone. There's a new one called Ready Player Two. Not quite so sure I recommend that, but uh, that and frankly the movie not bad. It was a good fun movie to watch. But that's my history. But I think that 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 shows that. The way to experience the metaverse, if you're going to, you really need to invest in a set of VR goggles. We happen to recommend the Quest 2. They happen to be the most widely available. They tend to be the best, but there are others. HTC makes the Vive or the Vive. I can't remember how you pronounce it, um, but uh, but that's out there as well. There are other options and other companies making them, but the Quest 2 usually is what I see is on the top of most recommended list. Yeah, I would say when, because sometimes people point to Second Life or other things like that. And I would say at this point, the technology has reached this point, uh, uh, this this point right now, where you're expecting a, a fairly real life experience. And like you said, immersion uh, that I think that I, I love, Tom, as you know, with this VR travel things, you know. So uh, the other day I was, uh, you know, watching elephants in in Africa and they were just across the the river from me. And so if you go to a VR space that feels clunky and feels sort of that it's animated and not as real, I don't think that's as good as an experience in the sort of 2D thing. I I don't think that would, would grab us in the same way. It's almost like, you know, how young people don't like, I don't even understand black and white movies a, a, a lot of a lot of times. So I, I think there's that's an interesting piece of how how the technology has changed expectations on on we want on on what we see. So that uh, I, I just I think this this really rich immersive experience is is key to it and. 
the history, like Second Life, um, and some of the other things are, you know, interesting. And I think there's learnings from it, clearly. Uh, but I don't, I, I, I think we're about to step into uh, uh, a completely different era of the metaverse. Well, I think there's two things that have changed about virtual worlds since Second Life came into being, which is um, graphics technology and internet connectivity. I mean, they're both about, I don't, I would say, 100x better than they were back then. Um, I just remember how clunky it was to walk around in Second Life where it feels so natural wearing a pair of VR goggles. But I think that's the, I think the technology itself has been a huge difference as to why it seems to be better and this is now the, a better time for things to start taking off. Maybe we want to talk, Dennis, about kind of our own experience in the metaverse. We did a time, we spent some time together in the metaverse. Do you want to start off talking about it? Yeah, so we decided that in preparation for this podcast, we would actually uh, have a, a meeting in a, a, a metaverse uh, workspace. And so we we both downloaded an app called uh, Horizon Workrooms, which uh, is part of the Facebook family. And we were able to, uh, to meet together in a, essentially a conference room that we could kind of configure any way we want. And we had avatars that, so we could see each other and we had a whiteboard we could write on and, um, you know, we could look around, we could change the art in a room, we could do all this stuff. And it was, oh, it was, it was fun. It was easy to use. There was like a little bit of spatial audio that was kind of cool. Um, there was a presentation room um, and, um, and it worked pretty well. Uh, I would say that you know, when I was at MasterCard, we were using like this super high-end, you know, Cisco uh, uh, presence. Uh, I think it was called presence for video conferencing. And I would say that, that my experience with that was was better than this the VR uh, workroom just for working with someone because there was an oddness to us. You know, like if you laughed, like your mouth made funny, uh, you know, funny motions and uh, I'll let... Tom, I'll let you explain about how you just saw the, the top half of each other. And the whiteboard was a little bit uh, tricky uh, to work with, uh, but it was it was, it was cool. Um, I, I don't know how often I would use it for a business meeting the, the way that it is, but I, uh, it, it, I could see the potential of it. Let's, let's put it that way. Uh, and, uh, and, and so it, it kind of gives you an idea of, of what somebody might use it for. And then if you combine it with the other VR experiences that you might do in, in games or travel experiences or videos or whatever, um, that will give you an idea of where, where Metaverse could go. So I don't know, Tom, if, if maybe you want to talk about your experience in the, in the workroom of uh, which I think was similar to mine, but I'm sure you have some nuances. It was. I mean, I, I, I think it was fun. Um, it was pretty easy to use once we were able to get in, once you're we able to download it. Um, I, I created the account, so all I had to do was invite Dennis, and Dennis was able to log in. Um, you can, like he said, choose a meeting configuration. You can choose a number of different conference tables. You can have it in presentation format. You can choose either a, a sleek office or a modern office or a cabin, um, at least from this version. Um, I, there, there's a whiteboard there that I think the whiteboard is cool in concept, but I would say it's only really okay in execution. Um, we were... 
we were trying to write and it felt like I was a child trying to write. My, my handwriting looked like children's writing on there because it just didn't, it, you, you, you wrote with your controller, your virtual reality controller. And, um, there is a way to, to write on the whiteboard that we weren't quite able to make work. So you can, you can actually make your desk, the whiteboard and sit and write on the surface of your desk. And so we were able to do that. That was okay. It was fun. Um, what I really liked about it from a work perspective is you can connect your desktop to the virtual world and you can bring that into the world with you so you can show a presentation. I brought up a presentation on the screen so Dennis and I could watch it so you can show that. You could probably bring up other documents. You can share really anything from your computer. So for me, it's really no different from having a Zoom or a Teams meeting in terms of sharing your screen and showing information. The main difference there is is that that document doesn't take up the whole part of your screen. It's really, um, you're, 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 it's like you're in a room looking at the screen and, and seeing things. So that was nice but I would say ultimately is this really better than a Zoom meeting or a Teams meeting? Um, I think perhaps because we're all so tired of being on camera all the time um, interacting with an avatar is maybe a happy medium uh, you know I, like like Dennis said when when I sat down next to Dennis I quickly realized that the only thing that was visible for both of us was the top half of our body there's no bottom half so that was a little odd um, it's a little odd to um, to watch Dennis laugh and it just looks like he's talking so that looked really strange um, I think that the customization is not quite there because I didn't look like how I think I look. I don't think Dennis looked like how he typically looks. It wasn't terrible, but it really, I didn't feel like two strangers being in a room together. I, I think we, we all see approximations of each other in that virtual world and we are saved the exhaustion of being on screen, but I don't know. I'm not, I'm not totally sold on why would we want to have this in a virtual world versus seeing each other in a real, in a real telepresence like you described. Um, I'm just not convinced that that's the place where we all want to be having meetings right now. Well, and, and to be fair, the the uh, the business meeting is not really if if we talk to Facebook or anybody else uh, putting together a, a metaverse like the business meeting is not the killer app. Right. That's uh, not where they're. That's just a ben that's just a stretch, side benefit, right? Any stretch of the imagination. Yep. And also, there's also like a couple of different you know VR issues that come up. Uh, so, this time and I will both tell you that using the goggles uh, and wearing glasses is is difficult. It's terrible. Uh, it's terrible. If you have glasses, it's just so hard to wear the goggles. I, I've done some research, and I'm thinking about just getting a pair of glasses that are just for the goggles that are sort of smaller, and you know, um, and and give me a little bit more space in there, um, and then also that. There, there's probably a limit that Tom and I didn't run into. I think it, we were on for about an hour uh, where sometimes the goggles do kind of get heavy on your head or you get sweaty. Oh, or, I got there already. I mean, it's it's yeah. with the glasses on there. It's it's it can it can be painful after a while. It's true. And then also you get once you're in these rooms, it's kind of cool because you could kind of spin around in your chair and, you know, look at the door behind you or look out the window or see the art on the wall. But it's like all VR. If you if you kind of look around real fast or you uh, that you can get a little nauseous, you know, or a little, feel like a little vertigo. Uh, but those are all things that, that you'll you'll get used to. I I, I do think Tom, I was just thinking it is the, the two things I found weird was like you can you can move your seat around like without 
sort of warning the other person. So you could be sitting across the table and boom, you're sitting right beside them. And the sound is, it is a little special where all of a sudden you, somebody's sound a lot closer on the other side of the table. And then they're, they're, then it sounds like they're right on top of you and they're right beside you. And you turn to look at them and it really is like the top half of their body is floating over the chair, you know, and, but they're right in your face uh, at that point. <laughs> Yeah, and it's just so. So it is weird. I just realized that it, there's just going to be like a whole new set of etiquette uh, that that comes along there. So, so, so it's interesting, you know, just to try because I, I think even at a relatively early stage, uh, you can kind of see uh, some of the potential. And this is like a nice application for that, like I said, but it's totally not the killer app and it's not what people are interested in, why people are putting all, all kinds of, of money into that, which is uh, going to go in, in different ways. And so I guess, Tom, we're seeing a little bit lawyers moving, looking at the metaverse space. Um, and, you know, sort of internet pioneering law firm, Aaron Fox, uh, bought some real estate, some prime real estate in in the metaverse, uh, which is sort of was big news in the last few weeks. So I guess, Tom, you want to kind of take us down the road on 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 maybe where the metaverse is going and then and then we can kind of ease into what maybe the, the legal aspects of it will turn out to be. Well, so I think that, uh, you know, for as far as Aaron Fox, Fox buying real estate, I mean, this is kind of along the same lines of um, NFTs, which I think we're going to try to talk about in an upcoming uh, episode. But all of this virtual property, I still struggle with the value of that. But it is very similar to a gold rush. If you're not buying your own property in the virtual world, someone else is going to buy it for you, and it won't be there. Now, what does that practically mean? I'm not quite sure what the answer to that is, but can should you... Uh, can, can you afford to be behind the curve? Uh, there are those who would say that you should not be behind the curve. Here's kind of what I think. I think that there are a lot of different entrance ramps to choose from as far as what the metaverse looks like. Now, this, you know, working together in this conference room, I think you're right. This is not the killer app for the metaverse right now. I think that 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 uh, meta uh, with with their Oculus and their and their Horizon apps they, they have a new app that I think about, not a lot of people, but 300,000 is not a small number. It's not a huge number. 300,000 people are now using a, a, another Horizon app from Meta where you can go in and you can be in a karaoke bar and you can your friends can be there and you can sing to each other or you can go and DJ something. And there are a lot more interactive, fun, closer to the hitting your target point of the metaverse than sitting in a conference room and looking at a PowerPoint presentation on a virtual screen. So lots of gaming opportunities. Um, I will say the dizziness is real. There's an app that I downloaded at the beginning because I really wanted to I really wanted to understand what that meant. And I downloaded there's there are apps for roller coasters and you can take a, a ride on virtual roller coasters all around the world. And I I hate roller coasters to begin with, and this only reinforced, reinforced my hatred because I was dizzy within 30 seconds of being on the roller coaster. It was so realistic, um, I nearly fell over because I was standing up trying to be on a roller coaster. But gaming is one way. I mean, there's lots of games that you can play with by, by yourself or with other people. Um, there are, we're already seeing concerts in the metaverse. You know, If you're familiar with the game Fortnite, they've hosted lots of live concerts where an avatar of a well-known singer 
singer shows up and does a concert for everybody else who also shows up in their avatar. Um, I think virtual workplaces are going to be a thing, whether they're going to be popular or not. But I think that the challenge here is going to be how to connect every uh, all of these worlds together, um, because I think that the the, the, to me, the thing that's intriguing about the metaverse is that you have the same identity across all of them so that you can say, I go to this metaverse to attend a concert and I go to this one for my work. And your identity can be similar to your work identity, which is, or your, your real life identity, which is I want to try to maintain who I am across all these different platforms. I don't know if that's really what they mean by this continuity, but I'm intrigued by it and I'm interested to see where it goes. Yeah, I, I think this is one of these things where it will initially feel like a nice to have and maybe it's for, for other people, but you're going to see some things where you'll, uh, it will just click for you. And so one of, one of the things I saw somebody say was uh, once you have the metaverse, do uh, gambling casinos make sense at all anymore? And uh, especially for people who play the machines, right? And and you're like, oh wait, I totally get that. You know, I I can I can really understand that as a as a VR type of experience. And and other people go like, Dennis, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, uh, why that would make sense? But I, I think you're going to see some things like that. Uh, and then then I say lawyers are going to kind of dribble in there. Um, and so like the Arendt Fox thing, I think it's, you know, it's a great branding thing, but I went on to the, into the metaverse site where they bought the property. I couldn't find it, you know? And I would say that part of the reason is the search tools and, uh, and other things there are just terrible in that, in that, uh, that universe, but they're going to get better. Um, and the technology will, will kind of keep improving. And I think time we're at uh, with uh, the metaverse, we're kind of like where we are, uh, you know, at a, a number of places where, uh, you know, it's the, the technology competence rule, you know, it's that there are going to be lawyers for whom this is really important. There are going to be some who are going to create amazing micro niche practices. There are other people who are going to find uh, the need to represent people. Uh, we're going to look at at different uh, different things. There's some areas that jump out. Uh, there's already concern about sexual harassment in the metaverse. Uh, you know, intellectual property, other things. Um, so I, I think it's the thing is it's good to be aware. The entry point's pretty cheap with the Oculus, uh, the Oculus goggles. Um, and there's there's going to be a lot of a lot of things to sort out. And like you said, Tom, this whole continuity thing and and we look at blockchain tokenization all the, all those sorts of things to say like oh how do i do these identities and how do i move them across from one metaverse to another because it's pretty clear there's not going to be one metaverse there's going to be many of them and that's going to be a problem um as we access this well, I think in the in your questions for our in our preparation for this, you say, is it too early for the for the metaverse? And my answer to that is no, it's not for two reasons. One, it's fun to use. So I think whether it's going to be useful or not, it's still fun. And I still recommend that people take advantage of it because I think it's just a joy to be in a totally different world. I mean, during the Olympics, I put on the the, the app for the uh, for the NBC Olympics, and I was it was like I was standing in the stands watching it because I had access to all the different cameras, and it was a very cool experience. So it's fun. And then and then as Dennis says, um, 
that rule of tech, that lawyer competence. It's good to be aware and to have tried out things that your clients might be trying out as well. Whether you become an expert in the metaverse, like there are going to be some lawyers who decide that's their niche and they're going to do it. There's already lawyers deciding it's their niche. Um, as Dennis mentioned, sexual harassment is going to be an issue. There is already a claim of rape in the metaverse, which is just sort of amazing to me um, that we're already seeing uh, legal implications from that, but it's headed that way. So it makes sense for you to pay attention to it. So Dennis, what do you recommend as some of the best ways to get started for people? Well, I mean, the entry point with the Oculus VR is actually very reasonable, you know, like uh, uh, $299, $399 all in. And, you know, so that's that's the way to try it. Um, I, you know, there's a number of, of free apps that, that you can you can uh, you can use. Um, so I think the entry point is is good. Pick some people to follow who are who are covering that area. There's a number of things that have been written, uh, some really excellent stuff. You want to understand the interplay of uh, Web3 NFTs um, and and the metaverse. And uh, probably wouldn't hurt to read a, a little bit of science fiction to to get a, a sense a sense for where where you're headed there, and then just sort of you know decide determine whether it's a place that that interests you and and the timeline that you think you you need to pay attention to it. Um, so I'm I'm enthusiastic, Tom, about the metaverse. I, I but I still think we're of a ways away. I, like I'm I'm like compared to augmented reality, which I am super enthusiastic about, I would say the metaverse, you know, I'm, I'm like, you know, moderately enthusiastic about, and I would, I'm likely to put more of my attention into augmented reality, but, uh, you know, you know, other people may do the same thing. Um, and I don't know, I know the time you uh, usually have like a list of, of, of uh, starter places for people. So I'll flip it over to you for that. Well, not surprisingly, I do. Um, so I think that in addition to what Dennis says, I think get a get a headset, invest in it. It's, it is a low barrier. It's not terribly expensive. Um, I think it's a useful thing to do. Um, but uh, in a, and, and, and explore the app store that they have there because that's really how you'll find things that will interest you. But if you're interested in more of the um, the, the more serious side, then we'll put some links in the show notes to um, a couple of virtual worlds that are designed for workplace or other formal types of events, things like that. S sites like Spatial or Engage VR, I'm going to include a link to Horizon Workrooms. Um, they are um, vary varying degrees of pricing. I would start out, you know, with workrooms. It's totally free to use. So it's there's, again, no low barrier to entry. So try out the free ones and then decide if it makes sense to, uh, to move on from there. I am bullish on the concept of the metaverse. I think it's new technology. It's interesting. It's fun. Um, it promises new innovations. Um, but for lawyers, I think it's just like any other new technology. Some are going to be on the bleeding edge. Most will come dragging along five to 10 years from now um, as it increases in popularity. But we think, um, like we always think here, um, try it out be able to say you've tried it out, know what your clients are talking about if they're talking about it, and we think you'll be ahead of the game. Yeah, I was I was going to say that the area in, in uh, the areas in law that interest me with the the metaverse are the uh, the applicability and the overlap of existing laws to this new space. 
you know, whether that's going to be a one-to-one match and whether sort of like the existing way law is written, whether it's even going to cover some of the things that come up in the metaverse. And that that will be a challenge. But I think the opportunity is that by trying these different metaverses and maybe uh, and using some of them as experimental spaces, we may be able to to do some simulations and look at different ways to to apply law, to apply regulations and see see how they work in a quasi real world. And that actually is pretty exciting. All right. Well, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsors. Be the best resource you can for your Spanish-speaking clients with the Spanish Group's Legal Translation Service. Experienced translators ensure accurate translation of your documents with same-day delivery. Confidentiality is ensured, and the Spanish Group guarantees acceptance for certified translations. All that, and their rates are competitive. If you need other languages, the Spanish Group translates in over 140 languages. Mention Legal Talk 20 when you request your quote for 20% off your first translation. Visit thespanishgroup.org. If you're like me, you're probably a bit frustrated with the state of our political system today. Democracy Decoded, a podcast by Campaign Legal Center, examines our government and discusses innovative ideas that could lead to a stronger, more transparent, accountable, and inclusive democracy. Listen at democracydecoded.org to their new season, which takes a deep dive into democracy at the state and local level by highlighting different ways to ensure that every voter's voice is heard. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures, all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software? InfoTrack automates data entry, document selection, tracking, and information syncing across all these core tasks and more by integrating with your core systems like Clio, Smokeball, Leap, MyCase, and others. Spend more time on substantive legal work and less time on busy work. Learn how simple it can be at infotrack.com simple. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I dot C-C and get $500 off with code HAPPY24. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. It's time for another segment, or hot or not. We pick a tech topic in the news and decide whether it is hot or not. We'll probably not agree in our assessments, but it's a fun way to hear our perspectives on a variety of tech topics. So ABA Tech Show and Legal Week will be in person or as we're recording or sort of actually have been and are in person. And and some people seem almost giddy about that. Uh, Will Zoom webinars soon be a thing of the past? Tom, how hot are in-person tech events? Well, So let's be fair. I don't think that people are being giddy about the conferences being in person. I think they are being giddy that for the first time 
time in two years, they are getting to see each other in person without being on a Zoom or a team screen. And for a lot of people who like to have in-person, face-to-face interaction, that's exciting. So I think your hot or not question really to me is two questions. That first question are, are in-person tech events hot right now? And I think the answer is they're heating up to a nice toasty level because precisely because people are giddy to see each other. And it's not just conferences. It's music concerts. It's Broadway shows. It's family celebrations during the holidays. It's any place that we used to have human interaction and we're finally able to have it again. So I, I, I think in that respect, I would say hot, hot, hot. They are hot right now. And I think that because face-to-face interactions are in general more meaningful than virtual interactions – in-person, in-person conferences are always going to have the heat advantage. But I think that, Dennis, you have a, there's a second question there, which is now that we have gone through two years of online conferences and webinars, is the in-person conference still hot as the primary f- way for people to attend a conference? And, you know, I think the past two years have proven that online conferences can be done, except for the vendor experience, which which is terrible. Um, I think from a learning and even a networking standpoint, virtual conferences more than hell their own. I think that you know, I, I was I was part of a number of great conferences for the past two years. The technology has improved considerably. You know, before before the pandemic, I would say that that conference technology was terrible and and, and people responded and it, it is in, it is really just uh, really just improved tremendously. And and you know, if I'm just interested in the content, why do I want to pack up and head across the country for a couple of uh, days when I can easily access it from the comfort of my home? So I think that in-person conferences are going to have to share at least a little bit of their heat with online conferences moving forward, because that virtual world has proven itself capable of providing an alternative. Um, I, I I like the idea of in-person conferences because I like to see my friends. I like to talk to people. I like to have that interaction. Um, but I don't think that that means that uh, after we're having these conferences in person, that online is going away. Dennis. So I think it's there is like a little small flare here of where things are heating up. And then I think once people kind of step back and compare the experiences. I think that the imp- the, the face-to-face in-person solo, you know, solely complete, it's solely in-person is going to cool off even more than it has over, over the, the first two years of the pandemic. I think there's a lot to be said for the, the hybrid events in some cases, but definitely the online things. I, I'm There's so many things I can go to now because they're online. Um, and there is this notion of inclusiveness. I really feel in the virtual world that I don't get the sense of in, in person, right? So if I can't afford it, I can't go. If I can't travel there, I can't go. If, you know, there's, uh, there's all sorts of different things that will make me feel like I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not included in a, in, uh, in a good virtual conference. It just provides me with so much access to speakers. I can ask questions um, and I don't have to, you know, fiddle with parking. you know, travel, all all of these other things. And I don't have to worry that we're in for like another 
uh, upward surge of, of COVID. So I I think that there there's going to be this flare up now, but I think that people are going to struggle with this notion of, of inclusivity and that going back to in-person only um, makes conferences feel very exclusive. And I think that we will struggle with that. And so I, I think the you're going to see uh, a lot of conferences or most conferences are going to have that online uh, component and it's going to get better and better. Now it's time for our parting shots. That one tip, website, or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So for those of you using Microsoft 365, they have updated their main entry portal um, to your Microsoft 365 account. Um, And you can access it by just going to portal.office.com. And when you get there, you'll notice that on the left, you've got a little bit of a different navigation. But the part that to me is really interesting and that I've started to use regularly now is there's a button on there called My Content. And when you click on the My Content button, um, you have all, all of the information that you have in a bunch of different views to make it easier for you to get to the documents that you need. So I have, you know, documents that I work on with Dennis for the podcast, for our book, for things like that. I have for work, I have documents in lots of different places, in teams for my different clients and with my consultants in different places. So they're in different websites or in different SharePoint sites or team sites or on my own computer somewhere. But here it's all together in one place. So I can see the entire list based on when I edited it. I can look at what I can filter by when I recently opened it um, with who shared it with me. If, if I'm working on a couple of documents that I don't want to have to keep going back to and open, I can name them as favorites and just go to my favorites list and open them up instantly. I can browse by the people that I shared the documents with or worked on them with. I can look by meeting and see if there were meetings that included documents. Um, it, it is a truly useful way to get to the documents that I need on a regular basis um, rather than have to open up folders, navigate to that SharePoint site, open up that team. Um, all the documents that I need are in one place. I, it's it's become my go-to for, uh, for, for accessing documents during the day. And all you have to do if you've got Microsoft 365 is just type in portal.office.com and you're there. And that's one of the benefits that people underestimate in the cloud is that how companies take the feedback they get and they make improvements and the uh, the service you start out with um, becomes better and better over time in most cases. So I have two quick things. So um, I've been working on my reference notebook project in my second brain project, and I've been using a f- an app, uh, a browser app, or I guess what is the extension um, uh, for for Notion that is a web clipper. And so, if if I find a page, uh, you know, website, video, something I want, I just click on this icon um, in my browser, and it saves uh, saves that page to my Notion reference notebook. Um, automatically for me and it's just super easy and um, I can use it and then I can then I have everything in that notebook and then I can go add tags I can do other things uh, that I want um, in in that reference notebook database later so that's 
that's the main one I have. The other one is that we are people don't do like the you know the uh, the alert colors for we have to be in the reddest possible red alert level on cybersecurity and uh, and probably have never had higher odds of, of of being affected by cyber warfare. So I just recommend the CISA. Uh, CISA. Uh, did I say that you right? You said it right. CISA. So the uh, which is www.cisa.gov and their shields up site. So that's uh, forward slash shields hyphen up, and that's going to give you um, a lot of material alerts, warnings, uh, suggestions, recommendations, and that is probably going to be the most current stuff that you can get uh, that's official on cybersecurity. So uh, bookmark that one. And so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kendi Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode on the Legal Talk Network's page for our show. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts along with transcripts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can always reach out to us on LinkedIn or Twitter or leave us a voicemail. Please leave us a voicemail for our B segment. We'd love to get your questions or comments. We're at 720-441-6820. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.